All right. All right. Looks like we have gone live here. And just like last time, I went live a couple minutes early. No problem. No big deal. I know the setting I need to change now in order to correct that. But here we are. Uh, Good morning and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions. And uh, this time it will be based on uh, what you throw in the comment section of the videos here. And I'm just checking to make sure. Yep, we're all good. So, uh, yes, here we are. Sunday treat and uh, excellent. Thank you for confirming all is well. I am very happy to be here with you guys. I always get a little nervous still after a couple of years of doing these live streams. I still always am like, ah, about the beginning of it and wanting it to be so perfect and all of that. And it, and it hardly ever is, but whatever, we, we pull it off. Um, so as folks are um, coming on here, um, yes, okay. So we're seeing some, uh, yeah, that damn algorithm. Well, not sure uh, Not sure what to do except create, keep, keep creating content, putting out there and, uh, and hope all is good. I finally got this um, this chat thing going here, finally, so I can throw up your comments when you um, throw them at me and I can answer your questions and actually highlight them. Sounds like a simple thing, and my goodness, it, it actually is, but it just took a while to figure it out. So uh, very happy to have that here now. Um, okay, yes, do please, do. Please keep looking for me. And speaking of looking for me and algorithms and all that, I have a couple things I wanted to talk about at the very get-go here before we get into answering questions. As I am uh, always want to do, I've got things on my mind that I need to share with you guys about me, my account, my channel, my life, and my work. And in this particular case, uh, what I am going to share with you is um, some, some things I've run across on social media, Twitter specifically, where I'm probably just being trolled or have people who just don't like me. And I know that there are people out there who I've definitely pissed off, annoyed, upset, made angry because of my opinions, ideas, and attitudes about things. And that's fine. I'm, I'm going to rub some people the wrong way and they're not going to like me or what I have to say, no matter how sensible it might be. I can't force you to be right and I can't force a person to see you know what I'm saying and just hear it for what it is an attempt to help an attempt to educate an attempt to inform and do my level best to just try to help people um and what I mean here is I am hearing and seeing comments about how I am positioning myself or claiming that I am more than I am, or that I have credentials beyond my actual credentials. So let me clarify the matter yet again. I have always taken great pains, and I don't, and I know all of you guys get it, that when I say I am offering consulting services to people on a professional basis, that means you can contact me by email or by Zoom, or by phone call, and you can talk to me, and I can help you. I can help you with advice, I can help you with education, I can help you with my own experience, I can help you with ref reference to 
the literature. I can refer you to uh, books, to, to YouTube channels, to places you can go to get help for cult recovery, for cult intervention, for uh, coercive control situations. That's what I can do. I have a bunch of knowledge and a bunch of experience, and I am here to help people with it. I am not, and I have never claimed to be a therapist, a licensed practitioner, counselor, or clinical psychologist. I am none of those things, and I have never, ever, ever, ever said that I am. And there are people out on the internet right now, and I don't know if they are osabots or if they are just people who just have a thing about me or they just want to hurt me in some fashion. And they run around on the internet saying that I am saying that I am a clinical psychologist and I'm a licensed therapist and I am not those things. And I've never, ever claimed to be. So I just have to put that out there. Uh, always, always got to correct all the nonsense out there uh, on this. It, 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 it upsets me. It actually makes me mad because I have every single time I have talked about the fact that I can consult with people, and it's really the only word I use. Um, you know, I'm not giving therapy. I'm not giving treatment. That is not what I'm doing. Uh, I refer people to professionals who can do those services. If you need that, I am more than happy to refer you to people who can give you those services. That's not what I'm doing. And for people out there to say that is what I'm doing is disingenuous and it's bullshit. And it really, really pisses me off. So, now that I've gotten that off my chest, <laughs> oh, I hate waking up on Sunday morning to bullshit. I just, oh, I just hate it. And uh, and it's not the first time I've woken up to this. This wasn't not a one-off. This is this, these are people out there who are dedicatedly trying to hurt me by running around telling lies about me, and it really, really upsets me sometimes. Um, because that's right on the front line of me trying to actually interact with and help people. You know, it's it's not just some, I don't know. I, you can position and frame and ridicule and point and laugh at people for anything. Anybody can do it anytime to anybody. Um, but when it comes to trying to help people who really need it and are reaching out for it, I, I really it, it really bugs me when that gets corrupted with this kind of nonsense and lies. So anyway, uh, there we go. Yeah, no bullshit Sundays. That's right. Okay, so that um, being out there now. Wow, Vienna, Australia. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not Chris Boozy. I don't. I, I I've seen that guy on Twitter, uh, and I've seen some some nonsense about him, but no, not him. Now, let me talk about social media in general for a minute, though, because I am kind of reworking or or reviewing or you know sort of seeing my options. In regards to social media, I have mainly been on Facebook and on Twitter. I am hardly ever logging on to Facebook now. I have a page. I put my content there so that people can share it. And if you are interested in my professional page on YouTube or on Facebook, you can find it. It's under Cult Coercive Control and Recovery, I think. And um, I have a personal YouTube page or, or sorry, Facebook page. 
uh, like I said, that I hardly ever go to. I, I, you know, every now and again, maybe once a week, I'll log on there and post a dad joke and, you know, re- respond to people and take friend requests and stuff like that. But I'm really not using Facebook much at all anymore. I've mostly been on Twitter. And now Elon Musk, uh, asshat of the century, has taken over Twitter and has decided to turn it into another version of Truth Social which is Trump's social media um, platform, if you're not familiar. So um, I'm not really particularly happy with the direction and tone that Twitter is taking. It's always been a bit of a cesspool, and I have always had difficult times with Twitter because I have a temper and it can be triggered. Um, and I always feel really bad about that when it does, and I always try to back off and you know apologize and various other things. But... Uh, that happens from time to time. So Twitter has always been an up and down experience. But for me, it has been a place where I can just kind of vent. <clears throat> and I can share again, share my work. And I can um, and I can put content out there that's fun and useful and helpful and funny and dad jokes and stuff like that. Well, Twitter's been quite the, um, you know, got a lot of 1984 vibes these days. So I have been um, looking at exploring Mastodon. uh, So you can find me there and I'll post a link. I didn't put it in the description to this video yet, but I'll put put a link up to where I'm at on Mastodon. And I have been approved to join what's a, a platform called Post. And, um, and that's something I'm looking into. I don't know exactly precisely what that's uh, all about yet, but Tony Ortega is there, and, and I think some people are migrating in that direction. And I thought since I'm a content creator and not just con- you know, a flyby commenter, maybe I should look at you know, a platform like that. So I don't know yet. We'll see uh, where I'm going with all that. But you guys can watch... Um, um, you know, my links and stuff like that to contact me, interact with my work, share my work. All of this is only important to me because social media is the way that I can interact with you outside of YouTube and that you can, again, like, share, spread the work uh, and get it out there so people can be helped. That's at the end of the day, that's all I care about. I, you know, the commentary and the drive-by comments and the, and the nonsense I get up to and other people get up to on social media is not anywhere near as important as sharing the work and helping people. And that's, at the end of the day, what this is all about. So um, needed to put those things out there for you guys. Now let's go ahead and start getting on to some questions now that everybody's kind of arrived. Um, let me go back up here through the um, comments and... Let me also say, if you um, if you want my attention, um, you know, obviously super chats will go to the top of the queue as far as answering your questions today live. Um, but if you want my attention, uh, put my name the, the at Chris Shelton MSC in your question, and it'll be easier for me to see because it highlights it for me in the chat comments, just like Anthony and Xion just did in the comments there. Okay, so let's go ahead and go back up to the top and see what kind of questions you guys are throwing at me today. Um, Okay, Vernon Salvatierra asks me a question here. What kind of service did Scientology give to Kirstie Alley? Are her children Scientologists? Um, I don't know. You know, I can only guess as to what service they gave Kirstie. I mean, there are there is a funeral service in Scientology. They have rituals and services, marriage ceremonies, uh, funeral memoriam services, 
um, baby naming ceremonies, you know, all the ritual stuff that you see in other churches, Scientology copied so that they could look and sound like a real religion, you know, and they, so they have those things. And, I, and they are used in all seriousness. Well I, well, I might lampoon the copying. When it comes to something like a memorial service for a person who has passed, that's a very serious thing. And, and the service that was given, um, I believe they did a service at um, the Flag Service Org where Miscavige is because they um, uh, that's what I heard. And it would have been a standard Scientology funeral service, as far as I know. I'm, you know, I'm not privy to any inside knowledge about, you know, what's happening with Kirstie's uh, funeral services. But I can tell you that they, it was probably a respectful, you know, memoriam to her and her legacy as a Scientologist and a celebrity. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I know about that. As far as her children, I don't know if they're Scientologists or not. I have no idea. I don't know much of anything about Kirstie Alley's personal life. I just know that her late stage social media presence was pretty god awful. And I choose to not remember her for that part of her life. I choose to remember the good stuff uh, with her. Because I see Kirstie Alley as sort of the epitome of the deluded Scientology victim. I never really saw Kirstie as as a victimizer or a gross enabler or somebody who was purposefully driving, you know, her interest in Scientology was all about, you know, self-promotion and ego and stuff. I never really got that from her. I think she had, I think she was somebody who had very serious drug problems as a young celebrity or young um, person. And she uh, found Narconon and Scientology and it really helped her kick her habit. And she decided to go on a roll about that and speak out publicly about it and do her best to try to help people. And I think that, you know, uh, when you're trying to help somebody with something as awful as Scientology, that will be a path fraught with disaster. And I think that Kirstie saw that disaster but didn't see that it, uh, that it was, you know, from Scientology. And so she just got bitter and mean and mean-spirited in the end, and that was not really any fun to watch. Uh, that's what I can say about Kirstie. Uh, sorry I don't have more direct answers to your questions in terms of her... Um, in terms of her memorial service, I, you know, I'd have to ask a Scientologist to really find out an answer to that question, because how would, how would any of us know? Um, yeah, yeah, that's why I was getting a little grumpy. Okay, so, um, yes, okay, so Holly Everett here also asked, what does a Scientology funeral look like? Are there any differences from other religious-based funerals? There, um, it, it, beyond what I just said, there are, uh, there's no reference to God uh, necessarily, if I remember right, or even a creator figure. There, there, I mean, maybe Hubbard likes to like to throw those in when it was convenient, but um, but other than that, it's an effort to memorialize a person, to remember and eulogize them, to 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 say good things about them and their passing, and try to hold on to the good, not the bad in our thoughts in the future, you know, that kind of thing. And the other thing about a Scientology funeral service is, of course, it acknowledges and encourages that they will go get a new body and that they will be with us again and that it's really not a loss. It's, a, it's you know, it's, it's a passing. It's a, a, a time uh, has moved on for us that, that this spirit was occupying this body, but they will live again in another body because they're not really dead. You know, that's the spirit of that message 
is part of the Scientology funeral service. Um, I think it's written in a bit more flowery language than that, but that's that's kind of how uh, what what you got there. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Um, thanks, guys. Really appreciate your support, everybody. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's run down to this. Um, oh, okay. So we have here Fabian Super Chats me here. Hey, Chris, can you elaborate on your opinion regarding NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming? Would you advise against practicing it in a group slash course setting? Uh, and Vienna is in Austria. Greetings. Yes, thank you. Um, okay, so Fabian, uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Okay, so honestly, this is something I only have a passing knowledge of, so I can speak to it more from the sense of I am repeating what other more knowledgeable people are saying or have said or about it. Um, who have gone much, much deeper into how it works. As I understand NLP, it's a sort of effort to use um, the concept of neural pathways and repetition and um, you know, re repeating things over and over again. Um, and other tricks, there's tricks involved. There's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, as I see NLP, it's an effort to use certain biological truths or neurological truths or psychological truths and tricks in order to manipulate and control somebody else and, um, and often to try to do so in, in a way that they don't know you're doing it. So it's manipulation. And, and I don't know that that's a really good thing. Now, there is such a thing now as cognitive behavioral therapy, which utilizes similar principles of like, okay, well, how do our brains work? How does learning happen? How does trauma affect that learning or experience? And how can we re-educate ourselves or rework our thought processes so that we are, say, self-affirming rather than self-denying or, you know, kinder to ourselves than we are, you know, vicious to ourselves in our own minds because of our past trauma and stress. And um, CBT is an effort to try to, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is an effort to try to, you know, utilize those, that knowledge. NLP, as I understand it, is sort of the dark side of that, which, is de which was developed in order to try to manipulate and control behaviors, steer a conversation, steer a decision-making um, process in a favorable direction for you and maybe or maybe not for this person. That's, the, that's how I understand it. And it's, a, it's a broad set of tools and, and ideas that can be utilized in this fashion or has been utilized in this fashion. And that's why I avoid it and and sort of uh, downgrade it. Don't don't talk favorably about it. Is because of how it gets used in this sort of manipulative, abusive way. Wish I could offer more about that. And quite honestly, this is something I should dive into um, a bit more deeply because there's probably some fascinating things to comment on and talk about with that that I haven't gotten into. I mean, Keith Rainier, Keith Rainier, the guy who ran Nexium. Um, was all about that. Nancy Salzman, the person who worked with him, his, his sort of uh, cohort in crime with Nexium, was all about NLP. And that's why when I look at actors like that, these are bad actors, promoting and using NLP as a therapy technique or a self-improvement technique, I go, eh, 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 no, no, no. Something's off here. Something's wrong. And I'm not down with that. So 
That's what I can say about that. It's a limited answer, I know. I wish I could give you more, and, and in the future I, I would like to. But that's what I can say about it right now. Okay. Um, yeah, Truth Seeker. I'm sure that there are. Uh, he mentions here that he's used NLP and other modalities for more than 30 years with beneficial results. Awesome. Great. You know, I got nothing to say about that right now as I sit here. I think it is a tool that can be utilized one way or the other, but I've heard so many negative things about it. And again, I, you know, I need to do my own original, you know, my own research on it, but um, that's what I've got for you on that right now. Okay, let's go to our next super chat question. Anthony Spurgeon, when Miscavige dies, will they say he chose to leave his body like Hubbard? Probably, yeah. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. I mean, it's, it's you know, Hubbard's greatest hits. Redux, right? Let's do it all over again. Um, it, again, it all depends on how Miscavige ends up dying. You know, if he's found with, you know, in a hotel room with a bunch of hookers and blow, then probably not going to get away with that. <laughs> he causatively left his body. Um, on the other hand, if, uh, you know, if he dies in his sleep one fine day, uh, or, you know, ODs on too much whiskey or whatever, uh, you know, bourbon, whatever it is he drinks, um, you know, who knows, uh, but will they, could they, you know, try to get away with saying that kind of thing to Scientologists? Of course they would. Of course they would. And Scientologists would eat it up. Okay. Um, yes, 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 yes. Um, so let's see what we got here. Moving right along. Thank you, Truth Seeker, for your comments on the NLP stuff. I appreciate that. Um, yes, exactly, exactly. As Holly mentions here, right? This it takes seven times hearing, reading something to commit it to memory. Or another way of putting that is you only remember fifteen percent of what you're reading. So if you read a book and you really, 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 really want to get it, you're going to have to read it a few times. What is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Yeah, you're going to have to read it seven times in order to fully duplicate the book. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, Vernon Salvatieri. Has Danny Masterson completed the state of clear? Did you know him personally? Okay, no and no. Danny Masterson has not gotten to the state of clear, as I understand it. He is only a grade two completion. Ironically, grade two deals with overts and withholds, i.e. moral transgressions, sin. And Danny Masterson clearly is unflat on grade two. Uh, Scientology insider joke there. So, um, yeah, he's not much of a Scientologist, and he never has been. He's been a second-gen Scientologist. So, again, it's not that... He is not um, in the mindset of a Scientologist. Don't get me wrong. I, I, what I mean by he's not been much of a Scientologist is he's been a shit Scientologist. He hasn't been around much. He, you know, he doesn't really move up the bridge. He doesn't really promote it a lot. You know, he's just kind of a, you know, well, he's Danny Masterson. You know, what, what else can we say? Okay, so there is that. Um, let's see. Yes. Yeah, I've definitely, neuro, NLP has been one of those little bugbears. It's been one of those little things on my shoulder for years. I've been like, 
got to find out more about that. Got to go dig in on that. And I've just never gotten around to it. So I, I appreciate the nudge. I really do. It's, it's, it's one I do want to dive into. Um, Yeah, good question. I'm not sure. Tony asks here, how was Leah and JLo's relationship able to survive when Leah was still a Scientologist? Well, JLo's father, I don't know if you all know this or not, but Jennifer Lopez's father is a Scientologist. I met him. I serviced him uh, at AOLA in, in Los Angeles way back when I was still in the Sea Org. And nice guy, super nice guy. This is no call out or, or you know, attempt to ridicule this man. He is a very, very nice man. I never had anything but a pleasant interaction with him. Uh, but it's not well known that that connection exists. Now, I have no idea how that does or didn't impact J-Lo in her life, but clearly she values her friendship with Leah more than she values her dad's discomfort over whatever that relationship might mean, whether he even said anything about it or not. Hard to tell. Celebrities are always... Things get mushy and gray when it comes to the rules of Scientology and celebrities. Tony says that they're... You know, Tony Ortega likes to say that celebrities are always the exceptions to all the rules, and in a way, he's right... It's just things get a little gray around them and because of the influence peddling and the power of celebrity. And J-Lo is definitely somebody you do not want going on to, to the Today, Today Show or Good Morning America and bad-mouthing Scientology. So you want to, you know, you want to tread lightly around that. Um, but, of course, at this point now, with Leah being as outspoken as she is, the lines are drawn pretty clearly in the sand and I don't know. Maybe J-Lo's dad isn't still a Scientologist. Maybe he's gotten out. I, you know, this was years and years ago. So hard to say how that relationship works from a distance. I've never asked Leah about it. It's, you know, it's kind of one of those not really my business kind of things. So I don't go there with her on that. But, um, you know, you might try throwing it at her and see what she has to say about it. Because I know Leah, you know, is on Twitter, for example, and, and is probably happy to respond to questions like that. If, uh, if you can get her attention. Okay, so let's move on from that. Um, okay, great question here. What do you, Xion asks, what do you think about EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing? It, um, okay, my, my, <sighs> EMDR is a treatment modality that has statistically, that has statistical studies that show it to be useful and effective in certain cases. I am not going to refute that. I am not going to say that that help wasn't given or it didn't, it didn't assist people in their trauma recovery. I don't use EMDR. I will not have EMDR used on me um, because it, re -looks, it looks and sounds and feels too much like Dianetics regression type therapy and I know it's not the same I'm not equating them I'm saying that they are somewhat too similar for me and my tastes to um, to want to go down the EMDR path I am not in any way trying to say don't do it I'm saying 
tread cautiously, as I would say with almost any treatment modality, is know before you go, learn what you're getting involved in, and decide for yourself whether you think it's something useful or helpful to you or not, or whether it might be. And it's no harm in trying something once or twice like EMDR. It's not going to permanently destroy your mind or anything like that any more than a single Dianetic session would. You know, it's it's bad stuff, but it's Dianetics, I mean. But it's not it's not mind destroying stuff, you know. So so if you want to explore EMDR in your own personal therapy, I you know don't listen to my considerations about it. You know, be in touch with your therapist, look at the literature, and decide for yourself. I just don't happen to think that it's a treatment modality that matches my tastes, and I am leery of it because of some of its um, claims that might not necessarily be as uh, based in uh, sound um, social science as, as maybe some of the claims for it have been. There have been some very strong claims made about EMDR. I'm always like, hmm... Let's let's be cautious. This is new stuff. You know, you're not within the first 10, 20 years of any treatment modality being used. And let's remember that in psychology, there is no standard tech like there is in Scientology where it's one size. You know, everybody's doing this the same way. And everybody's doing Scientology processing. Same, 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 same. If you go to Tokyo, if you go to Latin America, if you go to Boston, you're going to get auditing, and it's going to be the same kind of auditing. It's not like that with psychology. Different practitioners and therapists will use the modalities they have in lots and lots of different ways. And there's nothing wrong with that right now. There, it's, I'm not suggesting that there should be a standard tech when it comes to psychology. I'm merely commenting on the fact that practitioner A, using EMDR, could give you a significantly different experience than practitioner B using EMDR. So, you know, experiences and outcomes may vary depending on who you're seeing and how they go about using it on you. Um, And that's, I know, a very kind of broad, generalized answer, but I try to tread cautiously when it comes to speaking on stuff like that where we're talking about uh, a modality that is helpful and has statistics behind it and has studies behind it. I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's all trash, it's all pseudoscientific bunk, you know, and some people out there do say that and will say that. I don't. I will simply say be cautious and, um, and know before you go. I think that's always a helpful piece of advice no matter what treatment you're receiving uh, pretty much across the boards. So uh, there you go. Okay, let's move on here. Um, oh, yeah, 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 Masterson's, yeah, real second-rate Scientologist. Um, oh, Gurror, okay, just catching up on these super chats here. What has been your best slash worst interview? Oh, wow. Um, you know, funny enough, I think one of my worst, I think one of the places I came off the worst uh, for my own taste was on Scientology in the Aftermath. <laughs> I thought I did a shit job. I had like this little tiny window of time with Leah and Mike. I was nervous as hell. I had no idea what I was walking into. I thought we were going to talk about RPF. And so I was kind of, my mind was kind of going in that direction. And I was just so nervous. 
I've never, ever, ever done an interview where I was so nervous before as I did when I was on Aftermath. So I, you know, I don't think I come across very well there. My own self-critique of that is pretty brutal. Um, that's, I think, that's, that's always been in me, for me, the one if I wish I could, you know, oh, if I could have a do-over, you know, it would be that one. Um, as far as my best, Ooh. there have been a couple of talks I've done with John Atack that I thought were incredibly personal and yet at the same time incredibly informative about the about you know sort of milestones in the recovery process and commentary and, and discussion about that with somebody who really gets it. John Atack is somebody who really gets it. And he is a very dear friend of mine, uh, as well as somebody I collaborate with here on YouTube. So um, so when you see John and I doing when you see John and me doing talks and we've done, I don't know, 25 or 30 of them. I mean, we've got a playlist of them. There's so many that we've done. Um, there are a couple that stand out to me, and the titles are, are not coming to me right now. I'm sorry. There was one we did, I don't know, I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago or something, that was very, very, very important for me, very, very powerful talk about certain things I needed to come to Jesus on about, you know, some recovery points. I, I use that term, you know, uh, humorously <laughs> come to Jesus. Um, anyway, I think some of the talks I've done with John, um, you know, the occult foundations of Scientology, which was one we just posted a couple weeks ago, I think is, is absolutely essential watching for anybody in the ex-Scientology world. I took years to get my head around all that stuff. It took me a long time to, to, to come out of an awful lot of denial that I was in about Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and his intentions. And I had to overcome a lot of stuff. And John and I actually even got into it one time, and I, we never get into it. And it was about this point of L. Ron Hubbard's intentions. And it was a real moment for me when he was like, hey, man, I hear you. I hear you. You know, we were talking and I said, you know, hey, L. Ron Hubbard had good intent. He, you know, this and this and this. And he was like, I hear you, but where's the proof? And I was like, ah, I don't have any, you know, and that was like, a, oh, geez, I really don't have what I'm claiming is true here. I don't have any proof of that. What do I do? Right. And it really made me go back to the drawing boards and rethink a bunch of stuff that I had been assuming based on anecdotal stories from old Sea Org members. And I had to really kind of review that in light of all the objective testimonial we have from people. Well, objective and, and firsthand, so not so objective. But I had to really go back to the drawing boards and rethink my entire you know, view of L. Ron Hubbard based on that. And then we came back and had a discussion about it. And I thought it was one of the best we've ever done. So those are my, those are the, what come to mind for me when you ask me about best, worst interviews is, uh, is those things. I, you know, I hope that was useful in some fashion. Okay. Um, I don't know, Vernon, if Mike Rinder got to the OT levels in Scientology. I'm actually not sure where he got. I think he did OT3. I think he got up to there at least. But you'd have to ask Mike. I'm not sure. Okay, Fabian, another uh, super chat question here. Can you elaborate on the use of hypnosis in Scientology? When, how, and why is it used? And are Scientologists fed new input right after they have been put in trance? Okay, so 
I've done whole videos about this. I've actually broken down with John in detail. And we took like a couple hours to do it because that's how long it takes to break it all down. The answer to this question. So I, I, I feel a little bit like, well, I don't know how much I can give you here. But I, what I can tell you is that in Scientology's auditing procedure, transinduction is routine, normal, and expected. And by transinduction, I mean they're putting you into a state of consciousness where um, hypnosis then becomes the next step. And that is, as John says, or describes it so rightly or correctly, it's guided imagination. You are, you are put in a state of suggestibility, of, of lowered critical thinking, of, of lowered thinking, period. And you're sent down memory lane, and you are told to remember things that are impossible to remember, but you are told to remember them anyway and, and goaded into believing that you can. And you then, of course, serve up those memories because you're expected to and you're told you can and so you believe you can, so you do. And because you're serving up these memories, you then have to now tell yourself the story that these memories are true and real and happen to you. And here I'm specifically referring to past life memories because Scientology is all about past life experiences. That's its selling point. This is, you know, having past life experiences is not an option in Scientology. It's just a matter of, it's an inevitability. You, you eventually are going to be forced down the line. Uh, in your memory recalls to find stuff in past lives. And there is zero, absolutely no objective evidence that exists that we have lived before and will continue to live into the future. That is a faith-based proposition, and I'm okay with that if you believe it. I'm not ragging on your belief, but I'm pointing out and labeling it as a belief because it's very important that we label things as beliefs versus fact when it comes to our psychological and mental well-being. And if you are dredging up memories that you believe happened to you from 50,000 years ago, you are going down a road of delusion. And that's where every single Scientologist goes. Now, there's other aspects to this control framework that have to do with reinforcing L. Ron Hubbard's authority, reinforcing L. Ron Hubbard's dogma, and reinforcing the, 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 the narcissism that is inherent and in, in built into the DNA of Dianetics and Scientology, where you... Through the auditing process and through this transinduction and the commands and the repetition and the mantras and the euphoria induction, you're, I, I don't know how else to put it except to say that, that you create a delusional view of the world. It's a filter you're, you're watching the world through. Every perception, every, every hear, everything you hear, everything you see as a result of the, of the auditing experience, is corrupted or tainted to that degree because of all this false nonsense that you're now building into your identity. It's not just some goofy ideas or a fantasy story. It, it's harmful to you when, you when you attach it to yourself, to your personality, to your sense of self. 
that's when the emotional commitment becomes complete. And you cannot any longer question any part of this story that you're telling yourself. And that's why that's where the critical thinking goes out the bottom. And that's where the thinking goes out the bottom. And that's not the life that anybody should be living, at least according to the way I think about what a successful, useful, helpful, productive life is, right? Is walking around in a mental fog with delusions of grandeur isn't the best way to navigate the world. But that's the product of Scientology auditing is a person walking around in a mental fog with narcissistic tendencies or, you know, on ego trips and very much encased in a personality that is all about us versus them, right? I'm better than everybody else in the world because of my secret special knowledge and experience, and I am superior to everybody else as a result of that. That's where auditing inevitably takes you. The arrogance and the conceit you see coming out of Scientology just pours off of them. That's why. That's my summary. There's my short version, okay? That's that's, that's, That's my answer to the question there, Fabian. But please do explore my talks with John Atack and my other videos about this on this channel where I get to go into much greater detail about what I'm just what I just talked about because because it deserves a, com- a, a full complete answer and that's why we did those videos to provide those answers okay even though this is a Q&A show so I, I hope I'm not ribbing you too much for asking these questions I just boy we got really complete answers over here so I can only really tag and and point uh answering it right here okay I hope that makes sense All right, let's go to the next one. Anthony Spurgeon asks, what do you know about the death of Shelley Miscavige's mother, Flo? Uh, She was shot three times with a rifle, but was still declared a suicide. Yeah. That's about all there is to know about it, really. I mean, there's not a lot there. There's a police report, and yes, it was deemed a suicide, and yes, apparently she did shoot herself with a rifle three times, and yes, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's it. That's what we got. You know, I don't have a whole lot more to tell you than that. Um, it's it's a, it's a bit obscure. There's not a lot there. There was not really, I don't know that there was a complete investigation done beyond that. I don't know how they could have come up with that result. It sounds goofy, um, but I don't really know a whole lot more about it than that. At least not now as I sit here. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I, I don't have any other elaboration for you. It's weird. It's something that sticks out, and you just go, that doesn't make any sense. But there's, but then you go looking to try to find more, and it, it, you're just frustrated. You know, that's, that's been my experience trying to dig into that. And if any of, my, any of that frustration is coming across in my answer, it's only because I'm frustrated at how little there is to know about it, and, and we don't know. And that's, uh, that's what I got for you on that. Blech. Okay. Jamie, for real, I'm not familiar with dialectical behavior therapy when you ask me what I think about that. I'd have to review the literature on that. I'm not sure what that is off the top of my head, which is not to say I've not heard about it. I just, uh, nothing's coming to mind right now. Sorry about that one. I don't have that uh, at my fingertips. Okay, let's see here regarding, uh, you could run, 
Okay, let's see. Let me just quickly. Yes, good. All right, X sign. Regarding being in the Sea Org, it sounds like it took a long time for you to figure out you could run, but when you did, you were gone. Any comments? Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty, that's an interesting way of putting it. Nobody's ever put it to me that way before. But yeah, absolutely, I would say that that would be the case in that. I spent a lot of my life being compliant. Um, the way I grew up, the, my temperament, my bookish ways, my sort of nerdy ways, you know, the fact that I got into school a year early, so I was always kind of smaller and shorter and, you know, compared to everybody else, you know, um, getting along meant getting along, right? Meant, meant like trying to please other people who were bigger, stronger, faster, taller, whatever than me, or somehow I thought of as authority figures over me. And I was very, very, I, I very much was a second class citizen in my own mind. And I grew up that way. And I felt that way through my entire Sea Org time. Uh, the Scientology, of course, only served to reinforce and strengthen those feelings of inadequacy and secondhand citizen kind of kind of thinking that would go on in my mind. I was always trying to please others. I was always trying to make everybody around me happy. And if everybody around me could be happy, then I could be happy. And it took me 42 years living that way. To realize that my happiness could not, should not, could not depend on other people's happiness because that's not something I can control. I can contribute to other people's happiness. I can do my best to create a pleasant environment, to assist others, to give advice, to try to help, to be a positive influence, to directly assist other people in their lives when they ask for help or need it. You can always try to do those things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But to base your happiness on whether you're making other people happy with you, that's a trap. And it took me 42 years to figure that out. And it was first, at first it was only little tiny inklings, but it was pretty clear that, that this wasn't working for me, that I could continue. And, it, and the exact thought was, I could keep doing this for the rest of my life and everyone would take advantage of me doing that. And not one person would ever have to feel obligated to do anything for me in this equation. Because my happiness relies on their happiness. So if they're not happy, I'm not happy. Therefore, I'm dependent on them. They're not dependent on me. That was the trap I had put myself very squarely in 
as a young person had to do with, you know, parents and fights and divorces and, you know, domestic squabbling and problems growing up. And then Scientology piled on top of that as the forceful solution to everything. And yet it never solved any of these problems. And yet it had to. It must. It's the only thing that can you know, and so that was the sort of, you know, when I talk about double binds that people get trapped in and how crazy making they are, that was kind of the trap I was in. And I spent decades in it. And I thought that Scientology was the vehicle to success and happiness and the, and the way that I could make everybody happy and the way that I could save the world. Well, to me, what did saving the world meant, mean? It meant making everybody happy. It meant bringing joy and, and, and a kind of bliss to the world. And, and, and that is, I talked earlier about delusional points of view. That, that's delusional. That, that this world is not about bliss and joy and happiness. And it never will be. We're not that. And so I, you know, I needed to wake up from that delusory point of view because it was incredibly harmful to myself. I dedicated my entire life to trying to service other people. I really bought into the idea that a being is only as valuable as he can serve others. And that's a trap. That was part of the trap. That was part of Hubbard's mind trap. Is you are not only as valuable as you can serve others. That's slavery. But I didn't see it that way. I saw it as the grand sacrifice, the grand move forward, the thing I needed to do with my life to give my life meaning and purpose. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving all this setup, all this like, ugh, because 42 years old, I realized the Sea Org and Scientology and all of this that I've structured my entire life around is a trap. And it was going to continue to trap me and keep me trapped. And I went, you know, I can't do that anymore. I I can't. It's too hard on me. (laughs) When does anybody see to my happiness? When do I get up the bridge? When do I get all this good stuff that I've been promising people for 27 years? When does that happen to me? And it never was going to. And I kind of, you know, you kind of come to those moments in your life where you realize you're the one who has to grab those reins and dictate the terms of your own goddamn life because this is all you get. And if you're not in the driver's seat, somebody else will be happy to drive your life for you. And depending on who you choose to put in that driver's seat <laughs> is going ha- to have an awful lot to do with the quality of your life, you know, and your, and your emotional satisfaction with your life. And so when you say, you know, when you were gone, you know, you could run, you were gone, fuck yes I was, because in 2013... I realized that I'm the one who needed to control my life. 
and I'm the one who needed to make the decisions. And anyway, that was a real big moment for me. Uh, that was a, a series of moments, you know, a pretty big, pretty big time period. And I've been trying to figure out what all that means ever since. You know, I've been trying to, I've been trying to like figure out what does it mean to be in the driver's seat of your life? How much control do you actually have? What can you influence? What can't you influence? What is the state of things? What is this world that we're in, you know, and how do we navigate it? It's hard. It's fucking hard. Um, and there's nobody in charge. <laughs> so you might as well do the best you can with the values you have and, and the people around you, you know, and run with it. Take that power that you have and run with it. What else, what else is there worth doing? <laughs> you know, that's, uh, wow, I didn't, uh, didn't know I was going to go all those places, but um, that's, my, that's my comments, uh, X-Lion, on that. Okay. Um, let's carry on with the questions. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. It's, uh, sorry, going up and down the comments here as I'm trying to catch up. All right, Xcyan asked another question, not, not quite so personal. Does it seem to you that the COM course is a bit extreme to be the first main course a newbie takes in Scientology? Feels like it's too overwhelming. Well, that's exactly why Hubbard had the uh, Success Through Communications course created, is because, um, you know, in the 1970s, they were throwing people into the deep end. It was two hours of sit there and confront and do your the, the TRs, the communications class in Scientology was about sitting and facing another person. You know all the TR stuff that we that we go on about. So um, it was designed to throw you into the deep end, give you that you know that euphoric experience. And for those who would have the euphoric experience, see here's the thing about this euphoric thing. Let me clarify this real fast. Not everybody's going to have it. It doesn't. It's not an automatic dopamine hit just because you do some TRs or you sit and stare at somebody for a long time or you go into an auditing session a lot of people nothing happens they just go in go through the process and go okay and they walk right out the door and it's kind of like stage magicians or stage hypnosis right it's like you you're finding that the primed people the people who are this is going to work on this is they are going to respond to this and it's no different with the comm course, right? Some people come in to the, do the comm course and their minds are blown. Like Jason Begay talked about, you know, exterior with full perception. Oh, my God, I've never experienced anything like this before. It's incredible. Scientology is, you know, the bomb diggity, right? And other people just go, yeah, no, not a, not a big thing. So some people it's going to hit. Some people it won't. And as far as it being, you know, too extreme for newbies, I mean, not really. It was the most successful thing Scientology ever had to create new Scientologists. And they're not going to bring it back. They're not going to do what they used to do. Miscavige has actually stood on stage and said that wasn't true, that history wasn't true, that the comm course wasn't important and that people were doing it wrong. And, he, and he's got it way toned down now. And the comm course that exists now is 
you know, this is why I say you might as well just go join Toastmasters. You'll learn more about communication by practicing giving speeches than you will by doing a Scientology class on communication. It's, it's just nothing. There's no, there's no there there, you know. There's nothing really there except that potential dopamine hit, which isn't going to convince you of anything, and it's certainly not going to uh, improve your communication skills. That's for sure. Okay. So, carry on here. Um, yes, uh, Vernon, was hypnosis ever used in the beginning of psychology? Oh, yeah, absolutely, still is. Hypnotherapy, it's a thing. Um, yeah, hypnosis is all over psychology. I, good and bad. Good history, bad history, useful history, not so useful history. Overinflated claims, you know, all of it's there. Uh, but hypnosis in and of itself is not an inherently evil, bad, wrong thing. I only bring it up in relation to Dianetics and Scientology because you're being hypnotized without your consent or even knowledge, and that's not okay under any circumstances ever. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you, Xion, for uh, liking that interview we did with Christian uh, Zerko yesterday. It was, uh, it's quite good. If you guys, by the way, I did not promote this at all. If you guys want the deepest dive I have ever done, I mean, really getting into talking turkey about cult recovery and, and helping people out of cults, that talk we just did, just posted yesterday with Christian Zerko, is some deep stuff. It, we go into we go into some stuff in there, so I hope you guys will will check it out and watch it seven times. <laughs> okay, um, okay, let's carry on here. Um, yep, exactly, Nick. It was codependency. That's exactly what I was describing. Okay. Um, carry on here. Thank you, guys. All right. Um, thanks, guys. Really appreciate the, the positive feedback on that, uh, on my, my monologuing there. Yeah, clay figures, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. It's almost been an hour, and we have gone through a bunch of stuff here. So um, I think we've reached let's, – let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up at this point, right? We started a little early. Let's, let's end off uh, after about an hour or so. I really, really enjoyed this show this week, guys. I hope that my comments and feedback and everything here weren't too awful. I know I, I had some big I don't knows in answer to a couple of the questions. And I never really enjoy that, but I do feel it's important to be honest with you. And if I don't know something, I'm just going to tell you, I don't, I don't fucking know. Um, but I hope that, um, yes, I will definitely have a good day today. Thank you. Um, you know, I'll leave you with this. <laughs> um, it has been... It has been a real pleasure for me, and I, frankly, it has been an honor for me to be in this position to do what I do and be able to react, relate with you guys. It, it, live, I love. I love doing live because we have the one-on-one -on -one interaction, and the call-in shows are even better because I get to talk to you guys. 
But it is a real honor and privilege to do this work. And I don't know that I say that often enough. I, you know, I put myself out here as this authority on coercive control, and I do my best to try to give you guys data that's helpful, useful, and somehow going to, you know, maybe make a difference in your life. I'm not about the looky-loo, let's laugh at the cultists. That's not my channel. That's not what this is about. And I think that you guys have been following and supporting me for all these years. Know that, see that, and support that. And I, I am here for it. Um, I'm always, always, always uh, so thankful for you guys uh, and your support in all of this. And, I, and again, I just don't know that I say that enough. But it is the Christmas season. It is time for good cheer and happiness and joy. And new beginnings. We are coming up on, uh, on Christmas and New Year's and, and a lot of, um, you know, good things, hopefully in the future for this coming year that um, we've only been dreaming about ever since, you know, March 2020 when the world changed for the worse. And we're still recovering from that. Um, so anyway, just want to just want to thank you guys. And, um, and thanks for all your well wishes and everything. You guys are the best. Um, please do like, share, support the channel, support the show. Um, you know, tis the season, forgiving, all that kind of thing. It's always helpful. Um, but uh, please do share the content. That's what really matters out there. And uh, thanks very much for coming around and, and listening to me babble on. I will see you guys. Well, um, let's see. In terms of live, well, this coming Friday, we'll be doing our live show on Friday. I don't know that I'll be doing anything midweek here because it's uh, kind of holiday week and, and I've got things in the hopper that I'm trying to work on. So I'll be kind of dedicating myself to that rather than doing more catch-up Q&As midweek. I think, uh, I think we just need to have a, a, a chill week this week uh, for the holidays and come on strong in the new year. All right, so that all being said, I'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.